My name is Brian Jones. I'm the pastor here at the church. We're really, really glad you're here. We want to welcome those of you who are new. would love to meet you after the service. We'd love to welcome those of you who are joining us online. I have a quick exercise to get us started. I need you to find someone in your row, and I need you to find out who are the list makers in your row, the organized list makers, and I need you to find out who the people are in your row that honestly don't mind if the bed isn't made and you leave the socks on a sock on the floor. Go, really fast. Find those people. Okay, raise your hand if you're a list maker. Raise your hand if you're like, I know who the people, I knew the list makers in my row, right? Now raise your hand, don't raise your hand if you're a sock on the floor kind of person. But list makers, this is kind of point to the sock on the floor people right now. Like, definitely, these, these are these people. Well, this, what we're going to talk about today is for everyone. Uh, I want to talk about a list uh, that I started to make, and I, I, I stumbled onto this by accident. One of the things I did in, uh, at the beginning of 2018 is I made the commitment that I was going to make prayer and Bible study a priority. Now, that may seem kind of weird that I'm a pastor. Wouldn't that already be a priority? That's not what I'm talking about. I always prayed and I always read the Bible. I meant that in 2018, I was going to make it the most important part of my day, and I was going to treat it with the seriousness with which I needed to afford it. And so, Four o'clock in the morning, I get up, and I have this whole checklist that I go through when I'm studying the Bible and praying and that sort of thing. Now, a little side note. I don't know how many of you have read Atal Gawande's book, The Checklist Manifesto, but for those of you who are checklist people, put that on your to-do read checklist for 2018. The Checklist Manifesto. It's an excellent, excellent read. Now, Gawande is a surgeon, but he's a thinker in terms of how do we eliminate errors in the surgical room. In fact, uh, when he was being interviewed, uh, someone asked him that, what is the, how do you go about eliminating errors when it comes to a surgical procedure? He said, really what we do is, in surgery, the way we handle this is we say, you need eight, nine, ten years of training. You get experience on your belt, and then you go with the instinct and the expertise that you've developed over time. You go with your knowledge. In other words, you're a doctor now. Get in there and do what doctors do. The problem is one out of 20 patients are misdiagnosed. Last year, one in 20 patients were given a misdiagnosis. In fact, when it comes to surgery, there are 13,000 very distinct surgical procedures that have very complex steps that have to be followed. And if those steps aren't followed, very bad things will happen. So what Gawande said is that I need to basically see if I can improve getting rid of all of the errors that were made. Because a lot of people are dying because of surgical procedures around the world. So what he did, he said, we brought a two-minute checklist in the operating rooms, in eight, eight hospitals, that's it. I created a two-minute checklist, and I made the nurse in charge of going through the checklist. They would literally, right as the surgical procedure is happening, the nurse was in charge of the checklist. And I went, I worked with a team of folks that included Boeing to show us how to do it, and we just made sure that the checklist had some basic things. Make sure that blood is available, 
antibiotics are, antibiotics are there, on and on and on. When the person interviewing Gawande asked how, what were the results, he said the results were massive. He said one of the surprising things is that we found a, a, a other lessons about checklists. He said we also found that good teamwork required certain things that we missed very frequently, like making sure everyone in the operating room knows each other by name. What often happens, Gawande talks about, is everybody will scrub up individually, they'll walk in there, and then the person that's doing the surgical procedure just goes for it. And he'll start, he or she will start barking orders to the people that were there. They changed this. They made them introduce themselves. And they said when that happened, the average number of complications and deaths dropped by, does it say dipped or dropped? It dipped. It dipped, yes, by 35%. Think about that. 35%. That may seem like some abstract number out there until that 35% is you or one of your kids. He said making sure everybody knows each other's name produce what what is called an activation phenomenon. That person, having gotten a chance to voice their name, will be much more likely to speak up later if they see a problem. If a surgeon walks in, they're the expert, and they start doing stuff, but if just the nurse is looking there, and is like, you're missing this, if you have introduced yourself ahead of time, she feels like she's part of a team, or he feels like he's part of the team, they'll be much more likely to speak up. Now, Gawande says that we need checklists all over the place. Aviation, for instance, uses a whole series of checklists. How many of you have been sitting on the tarmac at Philadelphia International? You're getting ready to pull back, and then the pilot comes on. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I hate to hate to tell you this, but we found a little... You know, what they're doing is they're going straight through a list. Fortunately, they do that. But what Gawande says is there are applications for this all over our culture. Think of what would happen if your morning routine, for instance, with kids, you had a simple checklist that you went through. Just think of what would happen for those of you who have husbands if you gave them a checklist in the morning, all the different things that you could clean up about your husband. Now, here's my checklist that I created. I did this intuitively. I had not read um, Atal Gwandi's book. I just created my own checklist because I'm a checklist kind of guy. So here's my checklist. Uh, hopefully you can read my chicken scratch here. So the first thing on the checklist is brush teeth. Now, I do not have a problem remembering to brush my teeth. I just want to say this. But part of the reason with the, how I create a checklist is I want to get some momentum under my belt. So I want to do some things first that are easy to do. So I put a checklist there. Why? Because as every checklist person knows, we love checking stuff off the checklist. Amen? Can I hear a man? Thank you. Amen. I see those hands. God bless you. Here we go. Next thing I do is I go down to the basement until I have a little workout area, and I got an inversion table. Uh, Lisa calls it my Batman chair, where I literally, I'll go, I'll hang up. You ever seen these? You hang upside down? It's amazing. I'll put a little Enya song on for a minute, and I meditate with my arms folded. I'm upside down. It's the weirdest looking thing, but it is amazing. Get it? On Amazon, I got an Amazon Marketplace, 100 bucks. It was a $400 chair. Like I said Lex, last week, I'm giving you all the information, people, right here. Next thing on my list right here, I take care of the animals. And then next, if you can read that, can you read that next word? A diffuser. Now, yes, that means I'll take essential oils, put it in a fuser, turn it on. Does that mean I get my man card revoked? 
No, it does not. Let's move on. Vitamins, I take vitamins. I drink 20 ounces of water. I uh, try to drink a whole bunch of water a day. I do a whole bunch of stretches. I throw my phone in airplane mode. I enter what I'm about to eat in my fitness pal. And then I go and I read a chapter of scripture. And then I go and pray. And then I'll write. And then when I'm done, I take a break. And then I do our family finances, which will be about five minutes. I'll go through and enter receipts and that sort of thing. Put them in quick and calculate it. I, I do that rather than wait. That's my, now, here's why I'm sharing all of this. I had a huge uh, aha moment. When I go to the time of prayer, I, I do the same thing every time. And this, this sounds weird for me to say this because I've never described this for you, what I do. Um, and part of it is, comes from the awkwardness of um, in the Old Testament, for instance, the Hebrew word for intimacy between a man and a woman also is the word that's used for intimacy between a person and God. And there are some people that just love randomly praying with people. That's not me. I am way more private. So essentially, when I go to my prayer time in the morning, the very first thing I do, I've never told you this, is I hold my hands out like this. I'm leaving my hands out for the whole time. And I begin praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, the reason I hold my hands out like this is not because I'm a closet Pentecostal, like I'm a televangelist. Come on, Jesus, that sort of thing. I don't have a problem with people raising their hand and worship. This is not why I'm doing this in prayer. I'm doing this because 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands and prayer without anger disputing. That there is a recognition in our culture that the hands of men ha have been responsible for a tremendous amount of heartache and pain. And so there is this act of submission that we're taking, that men will take their hands as an act of submission to God and hold them up and pray. And so what I'll do is I'll take the Lord's Prayer and I'll pray the Lord's Prayer as a checklist. Now, those of you who come from a Catholic background, you'll pray the Our Father, and you're like, good, I'm done praying. And what you don't realize is that the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer was never meant to be prayed. It is a checklist of what to pray, of things to make sure you pray when you're praying. And so in the morning, I'll just put my hands out like this, and I'll, I'll pray, Father, um, holy is your name. Hallowed comes from the... the origin of the word is holy. It's set apart. Your, holy, your name is holy. There are parts, there are conservative Orthodox Jews that will not say the name of God. They will not write the name of God of Yahweh, so they'll put a yod in a line. And so Jesus is telling us we're allowed to say God's name. Holy is your name. I'm approaching you. And I'll say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. I want you for whatever happens today, I want it to be what you want it to do. And then there are three things we're told to pray, all right? God, I need, here's my daily bread that I need. And Jesus tells us to pray for our daily bread in the first century where 97% of the people, the upper, the upper echelons of the elite were 3% in that society. 97% of the people literally we're thinking about their daily bread. Actually, what are they going to eat today? So the, actually, that was a prayer. But for us, there's probably no one in the room thinking, 
What am I going to eat today for lunch? So you're going to find some food. So what is your daily bread that you're praying for? So I will, these are the things that I'm praying for today for me and for my loved ones. All the family and people that I'm praying for, people in the church, that sort of thing. Then, there's a, then he says, forgive me my debts, my sins, as I forgive the sins of people who have sinned against me. And then I just begin praying, God, for that person that slandered me and is trying to subvert what I'm doing here at the church, or they're talking about me behind my back, or they're just, they've just been mean. And I start praying for them and their marriage and for their kids that God will bless them and their job and help them with their problems. I will spend time, as Jesus tells us, praying for my enemies. And then I just will quickly say, and leading the night of temptation to deliver me from the evil one, blah, 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 blah. Boom, let's get on with this. Here's why I'm talking about checklists. This is why I brought up a tall Gwandi. This is what I need you to understand about what we're talking about here. After doing this and then slowing down, the enemy to spiritual growth is always overactivity. Stress, speed. The friend of spiritual growth is slowing down. As I slowed down and took my time and prayed however long it took, didn't matter. I'm up 3 30 in the morning. Doesn't matter how long it takes. I'll take as long as I need and pray. As I slowed down, I started praying this prayer. I started praying for God to protect me from the evil one, from Satan. I started praying for God to protect my wife from the evil one. For my kids, from the evil one. For many of you, from the evil one. I'm going on and on and on. And all about three and a half months into this, I had one of those, oh my gosh moments. It was like, how long have I been a Christian and I'm just now realizing this? I cannot think of a time in the last year when there were tons of very difficult, painful times and temptations and struggles and suffering and all of that. Not one time was I able to, to snake that back and find that to be some sort of scheme of Satan. There was always some, some problem, some human origin. And then I realized, oh my gosh, we are to pray every single time we pray for protection from the evil one. Do we understand what that is? The prayer checklist that Jesus taught us to pray every single time you talk to God, one of the components needs to be to, for you and your loved ones to be protected from the evil one. The reason I was like, oh my gosh, holy crap, is if Jesus is teaching us to do that, can you imagine the ferocity with which the evil one is coming after me and you? Think about that. And I'm like, if I'm not doing this, then certainly most of the people at the church aren't doing it because I'm not teaching it. I'm like, we're, we're just sitting ducks. How have I missed this? And I started reading the Gospel of Matthew. It begins with Jesus being tempted by Satan it ends at the very end with him leaning over in the upper room, looking at Peter and saying, hey, I just had a conversation with Satan. He wants to sift you like wheat, but I believe in you, brother. You're going you're to make it through this. What hardship, what temptation, what problem 
have you been facing over the last month? For most of us in the room, we doesn't even enter our mind that there's anything other than human origin. When I thought of Satan, I thought of the Limerick cooling towers. Yes, they could be a problem, but hopefully there are some really smart people over there dealing with that. And if it ever there is a problem, I'm going to pop a pill and get out of Dodge. That's how I felt about the devil, right? I never, never even really, never even entered my mind. But every single time I'm in a conversation with God, I need to ask him to protect me from the evil one. This now is serious business. C.S. Lewis said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. How many of you are old enough to remember the church lady on Saturday Night Live? Oh, it's Satan. Yeah, there we go. All right. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So we're finishing today just a very quick series called Schooled, how we don't want to be schooled by Satan. Last week we introduced Ephesians chapter 6. If you haven't, if you weren't here last week, please go watch that message. Find it on my website, church's website, find it on social media, that sort of thing. But I want to go ahead and finish up today by talking about the armor of God, the way we take our stand against the evil one and protect ourselves against the evil one. So let me read the whole con- this whole scripture in context, then we'll talk about the armor. Listen to the word of God. It says this. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, sometimes it's against flesh and blood. Like it's against the person that we're our neighbors or coworkers. But most often underneath that is a struggle that's not of flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now what's the full armor of God? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then Paul adds, you know what, please, if you don't mind, please pray for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I don't know how many of you played sports and you wore uniforms. Um, If the Apostle Paul uh, was writing a letter today, he would probably use a football uniform with the helmet and the shoulder pads and that sort of thing. But to get his point across in the first century, he used the imagery of a Roman soldier. And through this passage in Ephesians 6, he's going through a lot of the pieces of the armor started in the helmet and then the breastplate 
and the belt and on and on and on and on that, 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 that a warrior would have used in the first century. But in addition to that, it's not just a Roman warrior that the Apostle Paul is thinking of for the metaphor of the armor. He's thinking of the armor of the Messiah that was talked about in the book of Isaiah in the 11th chapter, which we'll get at. And the point that I want you to understand is that the armor that we're talking about here is the armor that Jesus used that he's given to you and me. Jesus has given you his armor to use to fight against the evil one, and we know that it works. So let's go through a few of these pieces. I don't have time to go through all of them. Let's just go through a few of them. He says, stand firm with the belt of truth. Now, a Roman warrior took a belt, and it held a big leather apron. It was probably about as big as my shorts right here. And the leather was thick, it was hard, and it was held together by a belt, and it was because the breastplate was made out of metal, or really, really hard leather, and you wanted to protect your thighs, but also uh, we took a vote what language I should use, and, we, and they voted on the family jewels. And so you, you wanted to protect yourself down there. That's the point, is you want to guard yourself from getting kicked or sucker punched. That's the point. The belt of truth is the belt that keeps us from getting sucker punched by Satan. Because as Jesus said, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Have you seen this video of these two, two girls? Uh, the mother grabs the phone right in the middle of the conversation because it was so funny. About these two girls arguing over the validity of going out and getting Halloween candy. One is against Halloween candy. It's going to give you cavities. The other one is, if you don't go out with us and get Halloween candy, you're really, really going to regret it. Take a look at this video right here. I love that. Um, the reason I want to show you that is anytime there's this argument going on on your head about whether or not you are going to obey or disobey God, you need to understand that is not a conversation you're just having with yourself. That the battlefield against Satan is almost always the battlefield of your mind. He's seeking to take control of your mind. Now, I understand for those of you who are skeptics, you're like, this is weird and that sort of thing. Uh, is it? Is it really? How many of you have done things that later you're like, I don't, that isn't me. I don't know why I did that, or I don't know why I said that. Or you know great people, and you're like, how did that happen? Listen, the thing is, the moment you find yourself lulled into doing something or thinking something that is against God's word, you know the enemy is involved. So listen, 
The enemy is always going to try to get us to rationalize our way into disobedience of God's word. That's the key thing. The next is the breastplate of righteousness. For the Roman soldier, the breastplate was a piece of armor that covered the chest that kept you from getting stabbed with a spear or shot with an arrow. Now, this righteousness, that word righteousness is a powerful word. The Apostle Paul probably wasn't thinking about a Roman soldier. He was thinking about the Messiah in Isaiah 11 that says, With righteousness shall he be girded around his waist, and with, with truth bound around his side. The Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scripture says in Isaiah 11:5, Righteousness, lean over to the person next to you and ask them, what does righteousness mean? Real fast. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness is a popular, important Bible word. It just simply means being right. It means to be right with God when it's used in the Bible. It means to be standing in a position before God where we have been made right again. We have been forgiven. We have been made holy Listen, I, I, one, of the, one of the strongest attacks of Satan is that one of Satan's schemes is to paralyze you by causing you to replay in your mind sins that have already been forgiven. Can I just say this? Probably 30% of the women in this room have had an abortion. Okay? One, one, one guy I know said, when I was 16 I had an abortion and I think about it every single day of my life. Can I please tell you something? For those of you, those of you who have become Christians, you're right with God. You have been forgiven. You are righteous. And one of the things that the enemy is going to do is he's going to keep, he's going to find that weakness in you and he's going to keep going after it. Like, and you're going to get like spiritual PTSD. You're going to get anxiety and you're constantly, come on, you have crucified yourself enough. Allow yourself to be forgiven. Guilt is an idol. And you know what the Bible says, God thinks about idols. Allow yourself to be forgiven. And what the devil will do is the devil will try to play with your mind. For you, it may not be abortion, but it's something else. He will find something else and make you think you're not worthy, you're constantly not up to par. And what you need to tell them is, I'm not. I've never been. But because of what Jesus has done for me, he has made me right. Okay, now listen. The last one I have time to go through is this, the helmet of salvation. Now, in 20, back in 2014, I had an opportunity to do a tour called In the Footsteps of Paul, which was one of the greatest trips I've ever been on in my life. One of my favorite parts of the trip is when we went to Olympia. This is a picture of Olympia. Uh, this was the birthplace of the Olympic Games. There were different games around Greece. We went to Olympia. I was like, this is like a, a monument place. And what it was, Olympia is a, is, a, is a church, a sprawling church dedicated to Zeus where different athletes in different cities will go and build little memorials. 
and then they would run games there and that sort of thing. And so one of the highlights of, of going there was I, I love, 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 love uh, Greek military history. And uh, the lady who was a docent, who was a, just a, a scholar, um, said, one of my favorite things I want to show you in the museum is I want to take you back here. And with hushed tones, she started speaking about um, something there. Now, now Greeks love being Greeks. Do you have any friends who are Texans? You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. They're like, they love being Texans. Like, I'm a Texan. Like, there's the American flag, and just a little bit lower than that is the Texan flag, right? Like, they, they, I really think they would have no problem with breaking off from the United States and having the, Greeks are crazy, fanatical about how proud they are. So we're there in they're in this uh, museum, and she takes us back to see the helmet of the great Greek military le- leader, uh, Miltiades. And so here's the helmet right here. And um, now, this helmet, inside the helmet, there is an inscription uh, where Miltiades is the military leader, where I think it was like 490 B.C., the Persians came down at Marathon, and they're trying to sack the German forces and it was really a naval campaign where they're fighting each other. Miltiades led the fight. Uh, this was, one, I think, 10 years after uh, where the, 300, the movie 300, the Spartans and the past and that sort of thing. This is 10 years later. Miltiades is this military leader, and she's talking about Miltiades with these hushed tones and reverence. And she said, look at the helmet. What can you tell me about Miltiades by just looking at his helmet. I mean, she's misting up. She's emotional. And probably one of the key moments in my life when I actually stuck my foot in my mouth, I said, I don't know, he got hit in the head a lot? And uh, no one laughed, uh, surprisingly. No, no one laughed as I offended this poor Greek woman. Um, but I want you to bring this helmet up. This is where you're going to get hit. This is the helmet of salvation. What Paul is saying is that, um, and you can bring it down now, earlier in the letter, the Apostle Paul says in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians that Christ has been raised because of his resurrection above all evil, above Satan and the demons. He has been raised above that. And then it says in chapter 2 that we have been raised with Christ and were seated with Christ above Satan. And listen, if you don't get anything about this, you need to understand this. Jesus in the gospel sends the 72 out. They came back and they said, with joy, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. To get this point across, I I have another video I want to show you. And I want... Uh, just watch this video right here. Now, this is somebody's dog. Ah, 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 ah,
Satan is the dog, and you are the lion. That's what the book of Ephesians is saying. Satan is the little dog nipping at you, and you are the lion that if you really wanted to, you could tear him apart. You may think this is some weird theological exercise until your kid is going through something that no psychologist, no doctor, your friend, you don't know what to do. This is some like weird theological exercise until there's something going on in your marriage. This is some weird exercise until there's something going on at work, until there's something going on with your body, until the, uh, there's a whole host of things. You need to understand who the dog is and who the lion is. We've been raised with Christ. We have the righteousness. We have the helmet of salvation, which reminds us that we are placed and seated with Christ, and we have authority over the enemy, and we need to stop acting like there's nothing going on in the spiritual realm that is against us, and we need to take up the armor of God. Put that in your daily checklist every single time you pray. You need to pray for you, and your family members to be protected from the evil one. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.